You are listening to a podcast from Influence Church. We hope it encourages and empowers you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Enjoy the message. Bam, you can grab your seats. So we are finishing a series today, just as we are about to begin a new series. So for the last two months as a church across all five locations, we've been in this series called The Pursuit of God. And I want to bring you a message to help seal and finish that series uh, this morning. If you missed any of the messages over the last kind of eight to ten weeks, they're all available on the podcast, as are those Rise messages. As I was listening this week to some of the messages again from Rise Conference and just so thankful for all God did that weekend. So we're finishing today The Pursuit of God. And then next week, or in fact tomorrow, really, we start the new series a month in Matthew. So next Sunday's message will be on a month of Matthew, but you can join us from Monday morning uh, on the daily reading plan and on the daily devotions. That's going to really help you to get into the Word of God as we study that together. I love that we can do that as a whole church, not just here in Richmond, but in Barnard Castle, in Penrith, in Bishop Auckland, in Workington, that right across the north, we can study passages of Scripture together. And I want to encourage you in that series, because I won't be here next, next Sunday when you're starting that series, I want to encourage you that we're not just about reading it, but receiving it. And so find a way to discuss with others. If you've got a life group member, if you've got somebody, just in, in a friend in church, just text them and say, hey, when we read that chapter, chapter one on Tuesday, let's talk together about it. Let's dig into it, because that's where the Word of God comes alive, and that's where community and discipleship is built together. But today we're finishing this series, The Pursuit of God. And when it comes to the pursuit, I want us to make clear this. The pursuit of God is nothing like hide and seek. Anybody still love a good game of hide and seek? Still, because I'm referencing really by now you should have grown out of it. You should have moved on. But anybody still love a good game of of, of hide and seek? There's a a few. Some of you are engaged daily in a game of hide and seek. It's an unintentional game of hide and seek. And I'm talking to those parents of small children. And so your game of hide-and-seek is because your treasured possessions, car keys, mobile phones, wallets, whatever it might be, have just been lovingly hidden in your house by a preschool child who decided the best place for your wallet is the freezer. And so you're hunting around, you're you're hiding and seeking, and you've not chosen to be involved in this game, but it happens to you as parents. Um, but, But the rest of us can still engage in that a few months ago. We had one of our staff meetings every Thursday uh, as, a, as a church. We gather all of our staff together, and then once a month, we have a, a more physical gathering, where because on normal Thursdays, the Reynolds over in Workington, they're just on Zoom, and we pass them around on a laptop. But once a month, we're all together. And a couple of months ago, we were having our all-in staff meeting, and we share breakfast together, and we share praise points together, and we have some fun and some fellowship as well, and getting into the business of everything that we're doing as church. And I asked Pastor Rich a couple of weeks, uh, a couple of months ago, hey, would you run the staff meeting? this week everybody's in and he said okay great Uh, and he said can I do what I like I said you can do what you like with a slight hesitation in my in my voice and uh, we decided he decided to play a game of hide and seek with all of the staff and so it was a fantastic opportunity 16 of us uh, aged from about um, 24 I think is the youngest staff member and 65 64 is the oldest staff member you can guess who that is they're not on the front row this morning and uh, so we played a game of hide and seek in this building with no limits on where you could go. And so there is, in the 1930s cinema, which is what this building used to be, there's all sorts of nooks and crannies that you can hide in. And I'm glad to tell you that I was victorious in the staff hide and seek challenge. What they... Oh, was it Soph? 
Oh, maybe I got second place. <laughs> Bearing in mind, I have preached this sermon everywhere and uh, given you no credit for that stuff. Um, but well, that, that proves my point even more. I, well, my, my point about me was I, I'm, not, I'm a lot uh, larger than I used to be. But me and Soph have grown up playing hide-and-seek in this building for, for me, the last 40 years. For 40 years, I've been hiding from either parents, pastors, or parishioners in this building. And so I know every nook and cranny and place where you used to be allowed to hide, but no longer health and safety would say, is it appropriate for you to hide there? So I went straight to that spot. <laughs> and everybody thought, he'll not go up there because that's highly dangerous. And I did just about fit. And I did Moraine there till, that's right, Soph was, I forgot that, uh, was the victorious winner. The pursuit of God, nothing like hide and seek. And yet sometimes I think our brains go to that place of thinking it is like that. We know theologically that God is not hiding from us. And yet sometimes I think what we think is that God's saying, I'm hiding. And if you can find me, if you can kind of give enough or you can pray hard enough or you can turn up to church, then, then I guess you win and I'll have to bless you. I'll have to answer your prayers. I'll have to do what you say. But that's never how God works because God doesn't want to hide from us. God wants to be close to us. He longs to be in communion with us. So when we get into this idea of the pursuit of God, we didn't call it the search for God because God's not hard to find. He's not hiding from us and he's not hard to find because this is what the Bible tells us in James chapter 4, verse 8 of, of Scripture. Many of you will know, but let's allow its, its, its power to come to us afresh. Come close to God and he will come close to you. Now, many of you know that scripture rolls off the tongue really easy, but God longs that when we choose to draw near, another translation says, when we choose to come close to him, he is such a gracious God that he isn't just like, oh, you found me. Now you've put some effort in, you've really found me. It says he comes near to us, that he longs to be in communion with us. Psalm 145 verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. I love scriptures like this because it's both principle and promise. There's a principle because there's a part for us to play, but then there's a promise of the goodness of God. That when we choose to draw near to him, when we choose to seek him with all our heart, then he wants to come close to us. He is close, to, he is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. So God wants us to draw near to him. And, and, and scriptures like this that both have principle and promise help us to understand that in our, pers our pursuit always leads to God's presence. It doesn't say, if you, if you seek me, then sometimes you'll come up trumps and sometimes you won't. 50-50 chance of whether you'll draw near to God or not. It says our pursuit always leads to his presence because he wants to meet with us. He wants to draw near to us. He wants to be in that close relationship, that close communion with us. And here's something you've probably heard if you've been around a church any amount of time. We, myself and Gail in September will have been pastoring the church here for 15 years. And so I've lost count of the times and you'll have heard this phrase in, in your friendship groups or perhaps from your mouth sometimes. I've lost count of the times where people have said something similar to, I just feel so far from God right now. And, and the words change, but the emphasis is the same. Some people say, I feel distant. I feel disconnected from God right now. And, and because I'm a nice person, I'm a loving pastor, I'm a, a bragger of uh, hide and seek, apparently falsely. Um, I say something, if, they say, if someone comes and says, I just feel so far from God right now. I try with all of my might not to say, are you stupid? But the emphasis is this, God's not hiding from you. 
So if you feel far from God right now, I would like to gently and lovingly imply to you, God's not at fault in that equation. That God isn't hidden from us. He's not hiding. He hasn't left you just because you're going through a hard season. Doesn't mean that God is a distant God in that moment. If we are feeling far from God, God wants to be even closer to us. As the Bible says, he's close to the brokenhearted. Because even in the most broken, even in the most difficult moments of our life, he's a close and personal God. He's an ever-present help in time of need. He longs to be with us. And so if we feel distant... Maybe there's a principle that we need to put into play for the promise to come. If we feel distant, then okay, it's time to spend some more time in the Word of God. It's time to spend some time in the presence of God. We can open up His Word. We can put on a worship playlist. We can get with some fellowship with a community of believers. We can choose to serve. We can choose to worship. We can choose to give. We can do something to play our part, knowing that God promises that when we come close to Him, He comes close to us. And so if we're distant, we have a part to play in the process. Therefore, I think even though we've been talking about this for two months, sometimes that we need to understand the pursuit of God is simpler than we think. Because God's not hidden from us. It's not some kind of crystal maze type thing. You have to go through all the theological puzzles to be able to get into the presence of God. And when you've cracked the code, then suddenly all of your problems will fade away and you'll just be in perfect peace the whole time. Actually, the pursuit of God is something that we should be active with every day. Not just when we need something. The problem is when we, when we need something and we haven't been choosing to come near to God for quite some time, and then we feel distant from God because we weren't active in, in reading the Word of God. We weren't engaging with those WhatsApp groups with your life group of, hey, what do you need prayer for? We were, we were showing up to church when it was convenient for us, not just when it was the right thing to do. And, and a distance can form, but there's a, a significance and a simplicity in the pursuit of God that we can choose every day to draw near to him and he will draw near to us. So it's simpler than we think. And as we finish off this series this morning on the pursuit of God, I want us to spend a couple of minutes uh, delving into a number of different passages in Scripture to help us understand something within the pursuit of God. I want us to talk about the will of God. What is the will of God and how can we understand its power in our lives, because the Bible has a lot to say about this, and we'll go on a bit of a journey, not just in one scripture, but on a number of different verses that I think will help us. But let's, let's root it in a passage we've already heard this morning. Gail spoke so beautifully when we were leading into the communion about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was uh, approaching that sacrifice. He was approaching that really incredibly difficult moment, and we heard something that was out of this verse in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10 where Jesus said, well, I'm going to come back to that other verse actually in Gethsemane, but the emphasis is here as well in the Lord's Prayer. He said, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done. Now, the context of the passage many of you will be familiar with is prayer. This is written in the, what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's written within uh, the Sermon on the Mount. The longest recorded sermon that we have of Jesus in all of Scripture is found in the book of Matthew. And I love that we're going to dig into that and discover it together in our reading plan in the month of Matthew. But in, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is speaking to us about prayer. And at the top of that passage, he said, this is how you should pray. He didn't say these are the exact words that you should pray because it wasn't just about learning words. And, and in our English schools for many, many years, we learned to say the Lord's Prayer and we learned to just repeat it without understanding sometimes its power. Now, it's good that we learned it and perhaps you learned it without understanding its power. And now you know it off by heart and you can delve into it and go, God, speak to me afresh from this. 
And we learned to pray in our English schools over many, many years, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so in the middle of a passage where Jesus said he's teaching us how to pray, he also teaches us how to pursue. What does pursuit look like for our lives? And what does the will of God look like for our lives? And said we should pray it in that way. We should direct our attention towards God. We're saying, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you dig into the will of God, you'll learn that it comes from a Greek word called thalamus. Thalamus means a determined action or decision. Another another, uh, definition of the will of God, this thalama, means what God desires to be done or what God wishes to be done. So it's recognizing when we talk about what is the will of God, the will of God is God's heavenly plan that he wants to see outworked on earth. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I love that through this simple verse, we understand this incredible promise that God in heaven has a plan for our part of earth. Not just the whole earth, but your world, your day-to-day life. And our prayer should be, God, don't just do what I want, do what you want. Because so often our prayers are the other way around. And and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I know we're all guilty of it. That sometimes our prayers are just filled with trying to convince God in all of the most eloquent ways that we can that he should do what we want to be done. God, I need this provision. I need you to sort this person out. In my husband or wife, I need you to do this, 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 this. We've got a long list of requests that sometimes we come before God. And listen, that's an important part of prayer because we're supposed to be able to, if it's important to you, it's important to God. And so you can pray about all of those things. If it concerns you, it concerns God. So I'm not saying that you can't present your requests to God because the Bible tells us that we can. But I'm saying that within the language of prayer, it shouldn't be all just about what we want. But Jesus taught us to pray, to ask God to say, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That in your heavenly plan that you have for me and for all the people in my world, God, I pray that I would have an understanding of that will. That I would have an understanding of your desires. Because I don't want my life to just be made up of the things that I wanted and I desired. Because I I don't know about you, but if God is able to do immeasurably more than I can ever ask or imagine, I don't want him to just do what I can ask and imagine. Because he can do immeasurably more. So if God just answered all of my prayers, I'm still limited. Even though that would be incredible. If, imagine if we could say, God will always answer every one of your prayer requests. And yet the Bible tells us in Ephesians, he's able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. So my prayer isn't, God, don't do my will. I'm saying, God, would you let your will be done in my life? Because I know what you see for me, what you see for my family, what you see for our church is far beyond anything I could ever imagine. So don't do my will, do yours because his will is so much greater than we could ever put into words. And so the will of God is about what God desires to be done in our world, just as it is in heaven. Let me give you a couple more scriptures. This is one I was referencing before from the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus, in approaching, in approaching the crucifixion, remember as Jesus approached the crucifixion, when Jesus was on earth, he was both fully God and fully man. So as fully God, he understood the purposes of of this sacrifice. He understood the price that had to be paid for the freedom of the entire world. But as fully man, he had some inkling of the pain that he was about to go through. 
as fully man, he understood that this pain, this sacrifice, this suffering was not something that he desired as a man. As God, he was willing to go through it. But as a man, Jesus prayed this prayer in Luke chapter 22. He said, Father, if you are willing, would you take this cup from me? He was saying, if there's any other way to do this other than the gruesome crucifixion, then I'm up for, I'm up for plan B. If there's any other way, but then he prayed this, and this is so important. He said, yet not my will be done, but yours. I love Jesus in this moment. I love what he represents for us. That we go through those moments. We talked before about a sacrifice of praise. Sometimes we go through those moments and say, God, if there's any other way, I would like to do this the easy way. But I choose your way. I choose to honor you even though it's going to cost me something. I'm, I'm going to choose to praise, even though I'm in the pit of despair. I'm going to choose to give, even though there's a cost of living crisis. I'm going to choose to serve, even though it's going to cost me of my time, because not my will be done, but yours. Jesus was always the ultimate example for us in everything, and that, that scripture alone is so important for us. Let me give you two more from the Apostle Paul this time. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. The Apostle Paul says, Do not be foolish. Just turn to the person next to you and say, he's, he's probably talking about you. I definitely was. Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So he's saying, don't just... Don't just go about your life being, being foolish. Don't, just, don't waste your time. Don't waste your resources. Don't, wa- don't be foolish with these things. But understand that the Lord, the almighty creator God, he has a will for your life. And actually, when you dig into that word understand, because sometimes we can feel pressure from that and say, I just don't understand. Well, it's not an instant download. It's not that when you accepted Christ into your life, everything did change at that point, and, and your salvation was secure through faith in Christ, but it didn't mean that you will always understand everything about God's will and everything about God's ways. There's a journey of discovery to go on. And he says, don't be foolish. Discover, understand, delve into God, what is your will for my life? What are your ways for my life? Don't be foolish with what you've been interested with, but understand what the Lord's will is. And then a passage many of you will know, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And this is so important for us when when we're discovering the will of God. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Let's pause on the pattern for a moment. It's referencing for us that the world that we live in, whether that's the whole world or whether it's the society that you dwell in or whether it's your family or your community, there's certain patterns of living, there's certain patterns of thinking that our world has become accustomed to. Certain ways that people think that that's the popular opinion of the day. That's just how it is. That's just the culture of my workplace. That's just what it's like in my army regiment. That's what it's just like in my business. It's what it's like in my school. That's just the way it is. There's certain patterns that people get into and they, and they try and suck you into. Well, you should think like everybody else thinks. You should live like everybody else lives. And there's certain things that society is saying, just because something is popular and a pattern in our society doesn't mean it should be the foundations of our life because we're built on something different. Christ is my firm foundation. I will not be shaken. And so there are many things in our world that just become patterns of that. That's just common these days. Didn't used to be common, but now that's acceptable. And he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. There's so much we could preach about that. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
that before transformation can come in your life, transformation has to come in your mind. We have to change the way that we think. We have to change the way that we see certain things. We've got locked into just the patterns of this world. I guess I have to think like that. I guess I have to act like that. I guess that's what I've been told I have to do. And he says, how about you allow some renewal to come into the way that you think? Don't just get sucked along with what culture says. Get into the Word of God. Allow the Word of God to bring renewal in your mind, which will lead to transformation in your life. So we don't conform. We're changed by the way that we think. That leads to transformation in our life. Then, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. We'll pause there. Then you will be able to test and approve. Perhaps sometimes the moments that you've got locked into, I just can't understand what God wants in this moment. I can't understand God's ways. And perhaps the reason we can't understand the things of God is because we're too trapped in an old pattern of thinking. We're too trapped, we're too confined by what's popular in, our, in, in culture to be able to understand what the will of God is. We haven't been through that process of saying, okay, that's what everybody else thinks, but I'm going to allow my mind to be transformed by what God says. And when we've gone through the process of coming away from the pattern, getting into the word of God, allowing it into the way that we think it's brought transformation in our lives, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Then you'll be able to hear, understand, receive. Then you'll be able to say, I get what God wanted for my life. I couldn't see it before because I was so consumed by everything else. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. And I love this, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The will of God for your life, it's always good, pleasing, and perfect. What God desires for us, what his heavenly plans are for your life, for your family, for your situation, for your finances, what's going on in your world. God's desire for you is always good, pleasing, and perfect. Now, here's the thing. The will of God is always good, pleasing, and perfect. It doesn't say that the will of God is always easy and obvious. Doesn't say that. Be really good if it was. The will of God is always the first thing on your mind. You're like, really? I think of some crazy stuff. Must be the will of God. Doesn't say that. Doesn't say that the will of God is always easy. Doesn't say it's always obvious. It doesn't mean that the will of God is always comfortable or convenient for us. Because sometimes we need to bring a sacrifice of praise. Sometimes we need to take ourselves out of the pattern of the way that everybody else is thinking to pursue the will of God for our life. It's not always comfortable. It's not always convenient. It doesn't mean that the will of God is always popular because not everybody else will get it there are various decisions we've made in our life or that we've made in leadership in church and people have said that doesn't seem like the right thing to do and we're like "Mm, doesn't make sense it's not popular but I believe it's God's will for my life and so I'm willing to step out of the opinions of others to pursue the things of God in my life it's not always popular but it's always perfect the good pleasing and perfect will of God so the will of God is something we, we hear about. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you'll have heard it, you'll have sung it, you'll have read scriptures about it, and yet sometimes it's still really hard for us to get our heads around. And if we're not careful, we can get into a lot of pressure within that of what is the will of God and what's not the will of God. I want to I be foolish. The Apostle Paul said, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. So, so if there is the will of God and there's, there are things that are not the will of God, how do I know if I'm in the will of God or I'm out of the will of God? And we can get ourselves caught up into a bit of a cycle. And I saw uh, an article a few days ago on, on Facebook, one of those things that you kind of scroll around and, and it grabbed my attention. It wasn't the will of God. It was about this. It said, 
uh, roundabout, uh, Cumbrian roundabout causes national confusion. If there's anybody awake at the back, uh, the Cumbrian roundabout causes national confusion. There we go. Now, there are lots of things about Cumbrians that cause national confusion. And I'm allowed to say that because we've planted a church in two different Cumbrian towns, and they're a different kind of bunch. And there are three, at least, Cumbrians in this morning. Nice to have you guys with us. And, uh, and I was as offensive as about Cumbrians when I was preaching in Cumbria as I am here. Cumbrian roundabout causes national confusion. This was posted on one of those kind of Facebook posts, uh, those Facebook groups, where everybody shares angrily what their opinion is. And, uh, and you're all part of those groups. Uh, you're, you're, just be kind if you're on those groups. And, and maybe not every opinion you have has to be shared. That's just free advice that you can have for free from me. But on this group, Cumbrian Roundabout causes national confusion because apparently as you come in uh, on, on this road, the A595 coming in from the right-hand side of the screen, you get to the orange circle, you get to the junction, and you want to get to the top right-hand corner. There, there is confusion about which way to go. There's no road markings on the road. And, and so, and last week when I was preaching this in, in Workington, we're now meeting a cinema in Workington. The screen is about 10 times the size of me, so I could literally be like a car coming down the road on the, on the screen. But as you come to the roundabout at the orange circle and you're trying to get to the, uh, the red circle, there's a lot of raging debate on these angry Facebook groups about which is the right way to go. Hands up if you are in the left lane approaching the roundabout. You're the left lane. kind of. Not many people, Faye. Oh, there's a few more joining you now. Okay, and if you're in the right lane, just give me a... Well, it turns out there's no right answer. And that's why they're so angry on the Facebook group. Whoo, they're angry. And we've got a couple of driving instructors really looking at this and, and really paying close attention. And, and, and apparently local knowledge kicks in. There's a lot of people going towards Sellafield. And for some reason, up there near the red circle, there's a random junction in the middle of the roundabout, which causes confusion by everybody else. But as I read this and I'd been studying into the will of God, I thought, that's sometimes how we approach things. That we get so consumed. Is it left or is it Right. What if I get it wrong? What if I thought, what if I was dead certain that the will of God was to be in the left-hand lane and I should have been the right-hand lane and I come to a crash in my life? And everything, and I don't just crash for my sake, I cause other people to crash. And what if I cause damage in these things and I crash into these things? Or worse, we, we're so indecisive because we don't know which way to go. We just go round and round and round and we never leave the roundabout and we never step into what could be the will of God for our lives. Maybe we see it like you've seen on the screen, the old Matrix thing. Do you take the red pill or do you take the blue pill? Kind of an Alice in Wonderland decision. Do you stay here or do you go down the rabbit warren? Who knows? And if you go down this path, will you ever be able to find your way back? We can get into this pressured thing of, I don't know what's right. I don't know what the will of God is. I don't know which way I should go. Is it left? Is it right? Is it red? Is it blue? And, and all of the pressure can lead to stress, can lead to fear, can lead to anxiety. And guess what? None of those things are ever the will of God for our life. Fear, pressure, anxiety, that's not the will of God for your life because his will for us is good, pleasing, and perfect. And so sometimes we get so caught and so het up and so pressured in these things that we find ourselves accidentally outside of the will of God by stressing too much about what is the will of God. And Cumbrians are still causing national confusion. Here's what we need to understand in, instead. I think the will of God is not about a, a pill or a path or even a person. The will of God is always about our pursuit. It's always about how we try to honor God in every twist and turn of life. 
in every decision, big and small, in every decision, obvious and complex, how are we choosing before we get to that point to say, God, I want to honor your ways. I want to honor your desire. I want to acknowledge that you have a good, pleasing, and perfect plan for my life. And so everybody else is going this way. And God, I just want to know. I just want to seek you first before I set out on this journey. It's not about whether we get it right or wrong. It's about whether we choose to pursue God in every one of those steps. See, it's about choosing to honor God in the everyday decisions, in the everyday moment. Not just the the big kind of left or right decisions, but how do we honor God in everything? You can pursue God in your career choices. You can pursue God in your relationships. You can pursue God in how you spend your finances. You can pursue God in how you talk about other people. You can pursue God in your business decisions. You can pursue God in how you spend your time. You can pursue God in how you raise your children, how you have your marriage. Every one of these areas is an opportunity for us to pursue God, for us to seek his will and his ways in our life. You can seek the will of God in everything. The problem is sometimes we we relegate it to just the big moments and say, well, I've got a big decision coming up in about six months time of whether I leave this job or whether I move house to this place, and then I'm really going to pray. Then I'm really going to seek God in those moments. And that's great for you to seek God in that. But you know, you can invite God into the everyday moments of your life and choose to, to honor him and say, God, as I live my life today, I want it to honor you. Now, you can also take that too far and get into too much pressure. And me and Gail knew somebody years ago who used to stand in front of the wardrobe and say, I'm just waiting for a revelation from God of which jumper I should wear today. And you can choose to seek God within those everyday decisions, but I don't think you need to wait for a prophecy to come of it's blue. I'll take the blue jumper. Here we go. But you, yeah, you can choose to honor him still in the way that you process all of those decisions. The problem is sometimes we get so caught up, like the person kind of either going round and round and round about and going nowhere or stood in front of the wardrobe not knowing what to wear today and choosing not to go to work because they got no revelation from God of is it the blue shirt or is it the red shirt. We can get so caught up in trying to know the will of God that actually we do nothing about it. And that's not the right place either because Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 7 verse 21. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Notice it doesn't say only the one who knows the will of God, but only the one who does the will of God. That there is something wrapped up in the will of God that is connected to our action. The will of God often has action involved in it. That's why we shouldn't just go round and round the roundabout of indecision and never do something. We should choose to say, God, I want to honor you in this, and I'm going to choose now to step out in faith in this decision. I'm going to choose that I've tried to seek you first. I've tried to know your ways and your will. I'm going to step out in this decision. Because here's the thing. If you always knew with 100% certainty what the will of God is, then where's faith? If you always knew, well, this is clearly, obviously, I've had it written in in the skies, this is the will of God from my life, then it would never require faith from us. 
And faith is us choosing to put our trust in God, even when we can't see a way forward, even when we don't know the way forward. It's choosing to say, okay, God, I believe that you're with me. I've sought you. I'm seeking you. I'm going to continue to try and honor you. And I'm going to set foot down this path. And I'm going to keep honoring you along the way. If we always knew 100% uh, with 100% assurity what the will of God is, it wouldn't require faith. So therefore, the truth is, you won't always know if it's the will of God or not. You won't always know if it was the left lane or if it was the right lane. You won't always know if you're, if you're praying over that job or you're praying over that relationship or you're praying over that choice that you've got to make. You won't always know with 100% certainty what is the will of God. The important part is not the knowledge. The important part is the pursuit. The important part is choosing to honor God in every one of those decisions. Choosing to honor him in every one of those moments. Here's what the Bible says. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God. There's that priority of praise again. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whatever you do in word or deed, whatever decision you take, honor God before you make the decision, honor God in the decision, and honor God after the decision. It's about how we choose to pursue him in every one of those moments. And we get so caught up in the, in the left or right. But whatever way we go, honor him. Proverbs 3 verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will guide your paths. Another translation said, in all your ways, honor him, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. So in every one of the twists and turns of life, honor God. Don't just wait till you get to the crossroads. Honor him before the crossroads, at the crossroads, and after the crossroads. Honor him in every moment of your life. Say, God, I want my life to be a living sacrifice for you. Holy and pleasing to you. You've got a good perfect, uh, good plan and perfect will for my life, but I want my life to be pleasing to you. I want my decisions. I want the inclination of my heart. I want the words of my mouth. And I want what's on my mind to honor you in everything. Not just when I'm in church. Not just when I'm making the big decisions, not just when people know I'm a Christian, and when they don't know I'm a Christian, my actions go a whole different way. I want to honor you in all of my life, in everything that I do. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will guide your paths. You see, when you truly acknowledge Jesus as Lord, in all of your ways, then you can't help but seek his will for your life. Sometimes we get so caught up with knowing the will of God but the will of God is that we acknowledge him in all of our ways. And if you've chosen every day to say, God, I'm here today as a living sacrifice to you. I pray that today I would have a, an understanding of your will and your ways, but I want to honor you in every conversation I have, in every decision that I make, in every interaction I have with a colleague or a family member. I, I, I honor you, God. If you've prayed that prayer and that's honestly been the intention of your hearts, then you can't help but discover the will of God for your life. Because you've already aligned yourself with the ways of God to honor him in all your ways. And, and over the years in ministry, we, we've worked with people who get so trapped by, by needing to know 
the will of God for their life. And I remember years ago when we were working with a, a youth and schools organization, people just, just pouring their heart out for hours, just, just gripped almost in fear. Remember, the fear has gone away from the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. But gripped in the fear of, what if I get this wrong? What if I make this wrong decision? What if I get it wrong now, and in 10 years' time, I'm so far from the will of God that I can't ever discern, and I go back, and it was that one decision I made in 1997 that's ruined the rest of my life. And we've worked with people who get so trapped in the fear of what might be in the future that they're fearful of making the mistakes now. So how do you know what the will of God is for your life in 20 years' time? How do you know how, what the will of God will be for your children or for your family in, in 20, 30, 40 years' time? And we can get so consumed and so trapped by that way of thinking. But the way that you, the way that you discover the will of God for your future is to honor God in your present. That we don't get so trapped and so consumed with where will I be in 20 years' time? What will I be in God in, in, in 20 years' time? Well, where are you now in your relationship with God? Where were you in honoring God in that decision you made on a night out on a Saturday night? Where was God in, in that decision? How can you honor him today in the finance that he's entrusted you today. If God, I want to be able to do this in my finances. I want to be a, a millionaire for Jesus in 20 years' time. Well, that's great, but, but how about what you've been entrusted with right now? How about the, the 10 pounds that you were given for doing a small job and say, how, how can I honor God in, in that moment? See, when we choose to honor God in our present, it makes room for the will of God in our future. Because we're not so trapped and consumed by, uh, by what could be that we didn't miss the opportunity that's right before us now. Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Well, the Lord's will is that you honor him today. That you honor him in this relationship, in this financial transaction, in this business decision, in this life choice. And I'm old enough and bald enough to have, have been around enough for a while to be able to see in my life and see in others' lives in this room testimonies of this principle. Testimonies of, of people who chose to seek first the kingdom of God, even when it wasn't comfortable, even when it wasn't convenient, but they chose in, in that moment, God, I'm going to pursue you now and trust you for my future. And let me tell you, that's the best journey that you can ever take. 20-something years ago, 24 years ago, uh, as me and Gail set out in, in full-time ministry, there was a scripture that we discovered. Um, and, and it wasn't the first time we've read it, but it was the first time we'd received it. It was the first time we've had a revelation of it. And it's going to be written in the, uh, one of the, the chapters, chapter 6, in your Matthew plan this week, which should be either Saturday or next Monday. Uh, and in the Sermon of the Mount, where Jesus talks about, seek first the kingdom of God. And it says, the world chase after all of these different things, answers and provision and, and, and status and all these things that people chase after. They said, but if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you as well. And I remember that was the first time, not that we'd heard it, but the first time that we'd heard it in our hearts, that scripture of, okay, you can learn to trust God in such a way that it relieves all of the pressure of what will happen and when will I get this and what will I turn out like just by choosing to seek first the will of God today. And that became a foundational scripture for our lives. It became a foundational scripture for our family, for how we, how we have a marriage together, how we parent together, how we lead together. And let me tell you, there are still some unanswered questions along that journey. And yet there are still testimonies today. There are testimonies that we live in personally today that aren't anything to do with something we decided in the last six months. It's something that we determined as a direction of our life 25 years ago. I will seek first the kingdom of God and trust that he will provide for us. 
trust that he will make a way for us. It's the best journey that you can ever go on in your lives. That You can, you can live in something now that is proof of a testimony, of a, of a decision to honor God, not knowing where it will lead, not knowing what the will of God will be, but choosing to pursue him. And as we come to a close uh, this morning, the band are going to come. We're going to worship again in a moment. But I want us to wrap together uh, uh, all of the different scriptures that we've kind of journeyed through today in understanding something of the will of God and knowing that we shouldn't be foolish, that we shouldn't be defined by the patterns of this world, but know that God has a good, pleasing, and, and perfect will for us. And in everything that we've learned today and everything you already knew about the will of God, let's just consider for a moment the Apostle Peter. Because Peter's a really interesting character in, in scripture. And when it comes to understanding and living in and knowing the will of God, we learn some great lessons from Peter. Because uh, let's go on a, a really small journey. Matthew chapter 16, Peter says, uh, Jesus says something incredible to Peter. He, he, he's, he's known at the time, not as Peter, but as Simon. He says, okay, I'm going to call you Peter. Peter means rock. And he says, and on this rock, I will build my church. So Jesus himself says to Peter, you are going to have a significant part to play in the church that is to come. You are going to be an important foundation for the early church. And you're like, wow, here's Peter clearly right in the center of the will of God. It's like, check you out, Pete. You've got name checked from Jesus. You've got a new name. You've got a new identity. Nobody else could doubt that he was right there in the middle of the will of God. And you're like, good on you, Peter. You're doing a fantastic job. 10 chapters later, Matthew chapter 26, Peter has publicly denied Jesus three times, despite being warned. He's publicly denied Jesus three times, and he's gone back to being a fisherman that he's left the pursuit of God, he's left the discipleship journey that he's gone on, he's left being the rock that Jesus is going to build the church on, and he's gone back to what he knew before, that was being a fisherman. And you're like, ooh, Peter, you've lost it now. You are right there. You had it. You were the rock, and now you're the fisherman. You were the right in the center of the will of God, and now you're so far away from the will of God, you can't even see the will of God. The will of God is a dot to you. And you're like, what? How, how did it go so bad? Luke chapter 21, Peter is reinstated by Jesus. Jesus appears and comes to them after his resurrection. He comes to Peter on, on the shore three times. He says to him, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Three times to, to restore to him the three times that he denied Jesus. And, and Peter comes, comes back into the will of God. Acts chapter 2, we read, about the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes on, on the church. They all start to speak in other tongues. People can't understand what's going on. Peter realizes, okay, this is all part of the will of God for us. This is what Jesus told us about. This is what's been prophesied about. So Peter, he gets up and says, I'm going to preach. He preaches. 3,000 people get saved. And you're like, here he is again, right in the center of the will of God. Peter is like the hokey-cokey of the will of God. In, out, in, out. Shake it all about. That's the Pentecost moment. Right there in, in the center of the will of God, and yet far from it. And, and I love that there are people like Peter recorded for us in Scripture. Because it makes me feel a lot better about myself, and I hope it does for you too. That we don't always get it right. That we don't always go from strength to strength to strength. Sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes we mess up. And what Peter is proof for us is that you can walk out of the will of God but there's always a way back. That you can find yourselves in moments of, oh, how did I get here? How have I done this again? I was determined not to make that mistake again. I was determined not to, to do that habit, not to make that decision, not to fall for that thing. And, and yet here I am again, 
so far from the will of God. But I'm so thankful that Peter examples for us the abundant grace of God. That although we walk away, there's always a way back for us. Because of the way that was made through Christ. Because of his abundant grace. Because of his great mercy towards us. That just because you've messed up doesn't mean that you have to miss out on the will of God for your life. And yet sometimes we get so consumed with, not me, you don't, you don't know what I did. You don't know the way my life has, has turned out. I'm so far from God. I, I've, I've walked away. I've missed out on the will of God. And you might have messed up, but you don't have to miss out. Because there's a way that was made for us through Christ to be able to come back. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that means every one of us have messed up. And you might be more acutely aware of your mistakes and your messes, but that's only because you don't know the depth of somebody else's story. And all have sinned, the Bible says, and fall short of the glory of God. And what's really good news in that is that the will of God doesn't require our perfection. Because if the will of God for your life required your perfection, then we've all failed. We've all missed it. We've all walked away. And yet because of the grace of God, because of the mercy, because of the love, because of the forgiveness that we find through Christ, a way has been made for us that whatever mistake we've made, whatever messes we've made, there's still a way for us to come back into the good, pleasing and perfect will of God for our lives. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Influence Church. Any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Influence Church, empowering you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God.